This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 122 of the Catholic Foodie, Mama's Silver Moon Cafe. Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today we take a stroll down memory lane. Char and I have been doing some good old country cooking lately, and last night our chicken etouffee led us to reflect on the smothered chicken we used to eat at Mama's Silver Moon Cafe in Baton Rouge. Wow! What a place! I mean, full of warmth and love and goodness, all on the table. Unbelievable. Anyway, I've also got some recipes for you today. Spinach pizza crust and another excellent crust from a friend of mine, Kathy LeBlanc. I'll also share a recipe for crawfish or chicken etouffee. Uh, Sarah Reinhardt joins us too, right here at the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. This episode of The Catholic Foodie is brought to you by Right Design Media at www.jeffyoung.me. If your business or organization is looking to get online for the first time, or if you're already online but need to boost your bottom line, then give Jeff Young a call today (laughs) at 504-722-8422, You will also find him online at www.jeffyoung.me. I'd like the chef salad, please, with the oil and vinegar on the side and the apple pie a la mode. Chef and apple a la mode. But I'd like the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side, and I'd like strawberry instead of vanilla if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of a can, then nothing. Not even the pie? No, just the pie, but then not heated. Uh huh. I'll have what she's having. I don't know about you, but we get on kicks here from time to time. If you remember in July, I got on a Bloody Mary kick. I wanted to try all kinds of different Bloody Mary mixes and, and try Bloody Marys in different restaurants, too. Well, for the last few weeks, we've been on something of a crawfish etouffee kick. Now, etouffee is a fancy Cajun word that means smothered. And it's basically just butter and peeled crawfish tails, you know, with that yummy, juicy fat, uh, chopped onions and green bell peppers, garlic, salt, black pepper, cayenne, and maybe some chicken stock. And all that is cooked down and served with some piping hot rice. Now, of course, you know, you'll need to add some crystal hot sauce or some Tabasco or just have it on the side just in case you might want to add some, right? But uh, you, you <laughs> and you can't forget to top it with freshly chopped green onions. Mm, mm, this stuff is good. Now, for the last two or three weeks, we made crawfish etouffee uh, once a week. But crawfish etouffee is not the only kind of etouffee. Granted, it is probably the most well-known and the most enjoyed, but you can also make a shrimp etouffee or even chicken. And when the price of crawfish tails keeps going up, and I think it's about twelve fifty a pound right now, uh, shrimp and chicken start to look real good, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's amazing what uh, mass production of food and uh, has done to, to food prices. I mean, something that was just a local delicacy around here for so long, uh, crawfish now is just so expensive because we ship them out all over the place. Demand grows, and so does the price, I guess. Anyway, that's exactly what I told Charles we left Mass on Sunday morning. I said, honey, you know, what if we did a chicken etouffee today? And she loved the idea. 
So I made my grocery list. I dropped the family off at home, and then I hit the grocery store. And wow, you know what? I bought two pounds of boneless, antibiotic-free, free-range right, chicken thighs for less than half of one pound of crawfish tails. And I think the, the chicken cost me less than $6, two pounds, right, versus one pound uh, of, of crawfish tails. So what that did, too, is it allowed me to make extra so that we could have seconds. Because I tell you what, the last couple of weeks, we have crawfish etouffee, and what do the kids do? The kids start begging for seconds. But really, with one pound of crawfish, there just wasn't enough for seconds. So two pounds of chicken would allow me to do that. And boy, I tell you what, it was good, y'all. <laughs> I mean, really. Char and I couldn't get over it. You know, there's, there's, there's something about seafood. We love seafood, of course. We love the, the, the crawfish etouffee. It's just so good. But, you know, and I know that, I mean, I knew the chicken was going to be good, but we just couldn't get over it. It was so delicious. As a matter of fact, we found ourselves at the table uh, last night reminiscing about good country cooking, something that we often refer to down here as soul food. And uh, since Char and I are both originally from Baton Rouge, it's no surprise that our conversation naturally turned to the place that served the absolute best soul food in the world, and that's Mama's Silver Moon Cafe in Baton Rouge. Now, the place is no longer there, I'm sad to say, uh, since today is a holiday. You know, I thought originally when we were talking about this last night, I thought we might make a trip to Baton Rouge to eat there today. But after putting Google to work, I discovered that the restaurant had moved from its original location, which was across the tracks uh, right off of Nicholson. Uh, if you're familiar with Baton Rouge, it's not too far from uh, to not too far from LSU, but they moved from there to the north gates of LSU around the year 2000. Then as that area began to develop, it was forced to close. The landowners raised the rent so high that Mama couldn't pay it. So apparently the owners wanted to lease the property to some big retail store. Anyway, so Mama had to close it down. And then Mama opened up a new restaurant in St. Gabriel, which is outside of Baton Rouge. Right? It's, it's, it's kind of over Gonzales area. If you're familiar with South Louisiana, you know what I'm talking about. If not, just know it's a, really a, <laughs> it's a long way away from LSU, okay? Um, it's, it's, it's St. Gabriel's just different city, basically. So, uh, unfortunately that location burned down just a few years ago. And as you'll see in a bit, mama has not reopened the restaurant, uh, but she does cook at her house and folks can call ahead and place an order to be picked up. You might be thinking to yourself, so what, All right? What's the big deal? Who, who, who's this mama character? What, what's the big deal? Well, he, here's the big deal. And this is why I bring it up. The big deal is love. <laughs> it's love. I mean, every once in a while, you might encounter a meal that is just absolutely amazing. Maybe it's a dish that you've had many times in your life, but for some reason, this time it's different. It's like there's an indescribable quality to it. Like there's a special ingredient in it this time, one that you can't really pinpoint, but it's there. And you realize that this dish is one that you will never forget. You see, that's what Mama's Silver Moon Cafe was all about. If you reflect long enough, eventually you will realize that that special ingredient that you're unable to pinpoint was love. Right? This really shouldn't surprise us. I mean, the movie Julie and Julia was premised on this, and so was Like Water for Chocolate, but that's a different story. <laughs> 
So I think the best way that I can share this fact with you, this reality with you, is to read a news report that came out a few years ago. Uh, It's an article I found posted on WAFB TV's website. That's a TV channel, Channel 9, I believe, in Baton Rouge. And I'll put the link in the show notes, of course. There's no author listed, but I tell you what, I am very impressed with whoever wrote this. I mean, you're going to love it. All right, so listen to this article. I was blown away, and I actually were sitting at the table reminiscing about the Silver Moon Cafe uh, with Char and I when, I when I Googled this on my iPhone and pulled it up and read it at the table, and we were all just mesmerized. I mean, this is just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Here's how the article goes. If you boil Baton Rouge down to its roots, you'll find a city built by factory workers and river boatmen. These are blue-collar folk who put in long, tiring days, and they expect hearty fare with their family when the day is done. As briefcases uh, replace lunch pails, the lunch hour is now nothing more than a meal moment, a break to ingest what WWL-TV photographer Larry Sherling calls styrofoam peanuts for the belly. We've strayed from the lunch hours as an event to lunch as just another appointment. Body maintenance, that's all. Friend, that dog don't hunt at Mama's Silver Moon Cafe. (laughs) You're going to slow down under Mama's roof because you just can't eat this much good food in a hurry. Some writers and reviewers have labeled Silver Moon's fare as soul food, and that's a disservice. Oxtail soup, turkey necks and liver... The staples of soul food are absent here. This is down-home North Mississippi cooking. The menu serves as a timeless reminder of what I had for dinner and supper. That's lunch and dinner, respectively, for you Yankee folk. When I was growing up, Mama has neither mission statement nor business plan. She has a mandate from God. You see over there, she says, pointing out the open door with a dangerous-looking spoon that has just stirred sliced bell peppers into bubbling brown gravy. In her crosshairs is a scraggly, bearded, sandal-clad LSU student on his way to some class on Greek mythological dysfunction in modern times. There are 25,000 of them babies across the street, and their mama ain't here, she says. God told me years ago that if those babies come to the silver moon, they would leave here having had one good meal. I will do that for their mamas, and their mamas would do that for me. That one good meal is posted on a whiteboard outside the cafe, a copy by the jukebox, and still another over the cash register. Menu items usually consist of a choice of meat items, a side, and something to drink. Note, you must understand that I just crammed a boatload of food into about 18 words. One usually finds sausage, smothered chicken, spaghetti, jambalaya, meatloaf in the entree section. Gumbo is served on most Fridays during Lent, and Mama just might lay some surprises on you from time to time. When you cook off the top of your head, great things can happen suddenly. Plan on a wild party in your mouth. (laughs) Mama says her secrets reside in her spices. Like good Cajun food, it's okay to be spicy, as long as one does not commit the cardinal sin of being hot. The idea is to excite the taste buds while tap dancing around incineration. 
and Mama can throw a sweet potato pie full of loving your way, baby. If one prices food by the pound, throw away your calculator. Bowls come to your table slopping over full with gravy meat and jambalaya, all accompanied by cornbread. Mama has even been known to put complimentary bowls of something you didn't order on empty parts of the table just because it looks better that way. <laughs> Former Governor Edwin Edwards' brother, Marion, likes to slip in the back door and fix his own food because he says Mama gives him too much. <laughs> He's also addicted to Mama's black-eyed peas. Bar none, these are the best red beans and rice I've ever had. Big chunks of bell pepper live here. Their oniony cousins live in the gravy, kept bubbling and thickly brown on the old stove. White beans, black-eyed peas, man, oh, man. And you just know there's some fried chicken lurking about if you can work the deal. <laughs> this is hearty stuff. Mama serves what field hands in Mississippi would eat during their lunch. The idea is to sustain the body for a day's work while feeding the soul. It's all cooked on a crowded gas stove using pots with thick blackened bottoms. You and I would opt for the shiny silver pots. But Mama knows what the years have lent to her cooking. She's always stirring, always adding spice, chatting up her babies from the doorway. Hand always on hip, teaching and loving. Some of her babies can draw her ire as quickly as her praise. Case in point, an LSU physical plant worker who loudly asks way too early if the gumbo's ready yet. The spoon leads the way as Mama charges from the kitchen and the strapping young physical plant worker is backpedaling. Baby, you know, pausing for effect, Mama's gumbo ain't ready till 1030. <laughs> the worker is smiling. This is an old game and a beloved one, but he still keeps backing up. <laughs> and as are his buddies who fear collateral damage from that 50 caliber spoon. Our hero calms Mama down with some light banter, scores some fried chicken and tinfoil, Yankee translation here, aluminum foil, adds hot sauce and is on his way. Let's talk about breakfast for a second. Nothing but nothing compares to Mama's place for breakfast. While others get away with a $10 day starter, Mama gets you ready for the day, baby. Are you ready for this? Scrambled eggs, grits, a biscuit floating in Mama's Love gravy, and a couple of pieces of fried chicken for less than seven bucks. Ha! Eat elsewhere? You gotta be out of your mind. On a cold morning with the windows steamed over a table full of Mama's Love, the old jukebox, all 45s, no CDs, cranking out the blues to Mama's soft humming from the kitchen, and it's time to tell the Lord Jesus to take you home. <laughs> it just doesn't get any better. You on a diet? Mama has you divinely covered as the love cooked into her food will more than offset any caloric damage. You see, it's all about taking care of her babies. Mama prays over her food every morning, seeking blessings for her food and for all her babies who will eat it that day. Don't judge the place by its graffiti-tagged graffiti exterior on Chime Street. Mama can tick off a million-dollar roster of NFL and NBA legends who has sat where you sit now. Shaquille O'Neal would eat double helpings of everything. Now, I defy you to try that. Recently, Mama had to gracefully bow out of a bidding war between two titans of sports. One of her babies in Baltimore wanted to fly Mama up to cook for him and his buddies. 
Word of that offer got out, and he was trumped by an even larger baby in Washington, Washington, D.C., who wanted Mama to cook for the offensive line. All of this was to happen on the same weekend. The bidding and the phone calls were hot and heavy, building the fever pitch as game day approached. Who won? Mama did. <laughs> and both her 300-pound babies got away with empty bellies and intact egos. Take note, children. Mama don't fly. <laughs> I love this article. I love it. I think it perfectly encapsulates what the Silver Moon Cafe was all about. And I have to tell you that I am so saddened to know that it is no longer open. Now, you know, I started out this segment by telling you that I had this, the, the idea of taking the family to Baton Rouge to eat at Mama Silver Moon Cafe today. And I told you that I discovered that it was no longer open. But you know what? I discovered something else, too. So many people across the country love and miss Mama's cooking. I was blown away by what I saw. And guess what? They all say the same thing about Mama's cooking. I was totally floored. Look, here's some quotes I pulled from the web, and this is just a sample. There were so many others. Some, somebody says, um, you know, we got there for lunch one day and didn't leave till we shot pool for three hours or so and drank every beer she had in the place. <laughs> I still remember the red beans, even after all those beers. <laughs> another, another person says, she cooked all that food in a kitchen the size of a daggum closet. Two meats, a vegetable, and bread, dirt cheap. And she called the red beans a vegetable. She had a ton of pork and sausage in that pot. <laughs> Someone else says, I remember her saying, baby, you still look hungry. Here's some more. Everything had gravy on it in that place. It was excellent, too, but I never could eat it during school because it put me to sleep. Mama really could cook. Someone else says, I'm still full from eating there five years ago. <laughs> Someone else says, I remember her giving food on credit because she couldn't let her babies go hungry. She paid me back. She'd say, pay me back next week or when you graduate and get rich. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that fantastic? Oh, wow. Here's someone else. Someone else says, uh, Silver Moon meant a lot to me, and Mama was like a mama away from home. Someone else commented, I think this was on Yelp. Someone had made a, 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 a review, or left a review on Yelp. Dot com And they said, uh, in truth, I haven't been there since 2001. But the thing about the classics, you know, this place is surely a classic. They don't change. And to this day, when I think of soul food, I think of Silver Moon. Smothered chicken, beans and rice, bread, cornbread, greens. Goodness gracious, I remember for my 21st birthday, Mama, whose name, by the way, I haven't mentioned this yet, is Seabell. Seabell Thomas. Mama... Fixed me a plate of her smothered ribs, I mean, fall off the bone good, and poured me a little cup of cognac out of her private stash to celebrate. <laughs> Someone else on Yelp says, beans, beans, the magical fruit, the more you eat, the more you, well, you know the rest. Says, uh, I've never been a big fan of beans. Just ask my mom. However, that all changed the first time I ate at Silver Moon. Wow, I did not know that I could tolerate red beans and rice much less love them. White beans are pretty darn good, too. You know, the mismatched china and the place just added to the killer soul food ambiance. When I think of Silver Moon, I get warm and fuzzy all over. Someone else says, um, 
Talk about some killer soul food. This is the place to get some fried chicken, black-eyed peas, mustard greens, and fried cabbage. Even the vegetables have bacon in them. Ah, good stuff. And someone else, I think this is on Yelp too, comments says, Ah, Seabell, how do I love thee? I can't even count the ways. I graduated from LSU in 88. Seabell fed me then when she was across the tracks on Nicholson, and she feeds me now on my yearly visits home. You can't beat her food, especially the smothered chicken. And her red beans and rice are killer. I've been using her recipe for years, but I just never get mine to taste as good as hers. Maybe it's the love that Mama puts into her food. Lord knows she's got plenty of that. Uh, there, there are other other uh, comments. Boy, there are other comments that there too, and I may put a few more in the show notes over at CatholicFoodie.com, but... Bottom line is this, man, talk about love. These people loved what they experienced at Mama's Place. And I understand that, and I think it's so awesome. You know, that, that, that these people might not use these words, but I would say that the reason that they loved it so much was because Mama's cooking was sacramental, right? Mama's cooking was sacramental. It was her love and God's love for us that touched us through the dishes that she served. And, you know, as icing on the cake, I have some voice feedback to play for you. My friend Adolfo, when he heard that I was doing an episode on Silver Moon Cafe, just had to call in. So let's take a listen to what Adolfo has to say. Hi, this is Adolfo from Folsom. I'm calling about the Silver Moon Cafe. I'm so glad you're talking about that place and so glad you're talking about Mama. Um, I was a student at LSU. Uh, my first time there, I remember tasting the food, uh, very simple food, soul food, wonderful. And I remember saying to my companion, this food is cooked with love. You can just, you can taste the love. It would become a ritual. Once a week, head down to the Silver Moon Cafe. Uh, I try to bring new people all the time uh, because I would rave about the love in this place. Like, you got to taste the love. You have to taste the love. I, I don't know that I've been to a restaurant where you can physically taste love um, in whatever it was that you ordered. Um, I was so enamored with the place and, uh, and with Mama and the smells that uh, one day I decided to be a little brave and wander into the kitchen, and I see Mama there, and she's doing some prep work. You know, she's slicing, I think it was potatoes. And I leaned in and I went, I love you, Mama. And Mama looked up, gave me a big smile, and said, I love you too, baby. And I said, I know, because <laughs> I did, I knew. So, wonderful place. God bless Mama, wherever she may be. Whether I don't know if she's passed away. She's smiling down on us. I totally believe it. She's preparing food for, for people in heaven, sharing, the, sharing her love with them up there. God bless you, Catholic foodie. Bye-bye. Adolfo, thank you so much for the call. That is wonderful. You know, Char started frequenting Silver Moon Cafe when she was in high school. I didn't discover it until I was at, uh, attending LSU. And, uh, you know, that was back when it was just across the railroad tracks off of Nicholson. And, boy, that place had character. Uh, it was awesome. And uh, I never went to the location on Chimes, and now there's no location to go to. Now, uh, WAFB-TV, on their website, they did have another article there, uh, dated, I think it was a 2009, saying that um, that Mama was cooking out of her house now, and they gave the phone number and all of that. And if you wanted to call ahead and place an order, find find out what her menu was that day and place an order, 
then you could do that, and and then you just have to go over there and pick it up from her house. So, which is really kind of cool. I mean, because this is like her her ministry; it's her life. You know, that's what she does. She is a woman who is full of love, and she cooks. That that's that's the gift that God gave her, and she shares that with so many people. Now, rumor has it that Mama is writing a cookbook, and I tell you what, if that's true, I'll be first in line. I would love to have some of her smothered chicken again. Ooh-wee, you talk about good stuff, y'all. Mm. You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. Well, I have a few recipes to share with you today. Uh, The first one comes from a friend of mine, Kathy LeBlanc who blogs over at catholicmomintheCountry.blogspot.com. On Saturday, I had a real hankering for homemade pizza. And uh, in an effort to get Char's approval for me to make pizza, which I don't often get, uh, I offered to make a spinach crust. Now, I've never made a spinach pizza crust before, so I put the word out on Twitter and Facebook and asked if anyone had a recipe. Kathy responded with her favorite go-to recipe for pizza crust. Now, it wasn't a spinach crust, but it looked so good that I just had to try it. I decided to make two batches that night. I did Kathy's crust, and I also did a spinach crust. I ended up finding a recipe for a spinach crust in a pizza cookbook that I bought when I was 17. I still have that book, and I love it. Pizza is my favorite food in the whole world, and not only do I love eating pizza, but I love making it. And, uh, you know, I can probably foresee bequeathing that cookbook to one of my children before I die. I love this little thing. Uh, But anyway, let me give you Kathy's recipe first. Incidentally, she posted it on the Catholic Foodie Facebook page, so you can also find it over there. That's at uh, facebook.com slash catholicfoodie. But here it is. She says this is their go-to pizza crust recipe. One cup of warm water, two tablespoons of olive oil, one tablespoon of sugar, one teaspoon of salt, uh, one cup of whole wheat flour, stone ground, and then one and a half cups of bread flour, and one teaspoon of active dry yeast. Uh, she says, I mix it all in my bread maker on the pizza dough cycle. You could knead it by hand, then let rest for an hour before shaping. I also add a couple of tablespoons of fresh herbs from our garden, basil, parsley, thyme, oregano, sage, whatever I have on hand. Dried herbs work too. Once the dough is ready, I roll it out, shape it by hand on a pizza pan. Uh, I wish I had a pizza peel, she says, uh, sprinkled with cornmeal. And sometimes I hand toss I hand toss it for the kids' enjoyment, but I don't think that it really helps anything except to make a mess. <laughs> I make the crust thicker on the edges by kind of rolling them up all the way around. Then I prick the dough with a fork, brush with olive oil, then sprinkle fresh grated Parmesan cheese, cornmeal, and garlic salt. I tend to go a little heavy with the sprinkles on the rolled edges of the crust. I pre-bake for 8 to 10 minutes until the crust just starts to turn a golden color and starts to bubble a little in a 425 degree oven. Then I add the sauce, the toppings, and bake for an additional 10, uh, uh, 15 to 20 minutes or until the cheese is nice and melted. 
The more toppings you have, the longer it takes. Best pizza ever, she says. I have never made a spinach crust, but I'm sure you could just add uh, chopped spinach or spinach puree to the dough when you first mix it. If you puree it, you may need to add a touch of flour to compensate for the extra moisture. Not sure why, but it has taken me years to perfect this dough, but it is now by far our favorite. The first, okay, many times I made it, uh, it was not so hot. Our favorite toppings these days are thin purple onions, fresh tomatoes, basil, bacon, and mushrooms. It, uh, it, should, be, it should make about a pound of dough, which is good for two thin crust or one thick pizza. Uh, good luck. Well, uh, Kathy, I'm happy to report that it was an excellent crust. It was different than the usual recipe that I do for a pizza crust, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I did not add the sprinkles. I did a few things I, had, I did differently. I added some uh, uh, oregano and, and uh, uh, red pepper flakes. and uh, uh, What else did I add? I know I had a few other things there to the, to the dough as it was rising. It was really, really good. I loved doing it. The first time I really did that, that was very good. Um, but I also used uh, white wheat flour, King Arthur brand white whole wheat flour. Uh, which is it does have a nuttier taste to it because it is whole wheat, but I and I did not use any uh, any white flour at all, and uh, it was kind of an experiment for me, but uh, it it came out well. It came out well, so I did change a few things, but love the recipe. It came out really good. So uh, that was just the quote unquote I guess regular crust that I did that day, but I also did a spinach crust. Remember the spinach crust is why I got the permission from Char to make pizza in the first place. So. <laughs> <laughs> I found that uh, that recipe from a cookbook entitled Pizza Pizzazz by Richard Erickson. And uh, this is what Richard writes. He says, you know, here's a crust to make that uh, to make your pizza uniquely yours. It requires no rising time, and it can be made in less time than it takes to defrost the spinach. Now, here are the ingredients. One package, uh, 10-ounce package of frozen thawed chopped spinach, a quarter cup of butter, a half a cup of milk, one large egg, two cups of all-purpose flour, uh, three teaspoons of baking powder, and then one half of a teaspoon of salt. Preheat the oven to 450, drain the spinach in a colander, and squeeze it in paper towels with, with, uh, or with your hands to remove all the moisture. And in a small pan, melt the butter and then stir in the spinach and cook over low heat for about five minutes. Remove from the heat, stir in the milk and the egg. Uh, in a large bowl, combine one and three-quarter cups of flour with the bacon, pow baking powder and salt. Mix well and add the spinach mixture. Reserve a quarter cup of the flour to make a firmer dough if necessary. Then you grease a 12-inch pizza pan or a 10 by 14-inch cookie sheet. Uh, place the dough on the pan, cover with wax paper, roll it out to an even layer, pushing all around the edges to form a border, and then remove the wax paper. Uh, bake the crust in a preheated 450-degree oven for approximately 15 to 20 minutes, then add the toppings and bake until done. So uh, I had uh, to make a few adjustments uh, when I made this the other night. First of all, I had to use more than two cups of all-purpose flour because there was still so much, even though I did wring out with my hands that, that spinach, there was still so much liquid in it that it, I had to compensate by adding more flour. Uh, I also noticed that when I went to put the wax paper down and to 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 roll out the uh, the, uh, the 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 dough, uh, I, I had a lot of a lot of the dough just kind of stuck at first. 
to the wax paper too. Uh, very hard to to roll out. That's that's when I put it back in the bowl, added more flour, mix it up some more, and then brought it back out to the uh, uh, to the pizza stone, and then rolled it out again. Much better the second time, but I did lose some of that crust because it stuck to the wax paper the the first time. So those pizzas or those those recipes rather yielded three pizzas Saturday night. And uh, what toppings do we have? Well, we had shrimp, which were really pretty good sized shrimp, fresh Gulf shrimp. Uh, 40 count. Uh, they were good sized. Uh, Italian sausage, fresh Italian sausage, uh, fresh spinach. In addition to the sp- uh, the spinach crust, I also put a layer of fresh spinach down on top of the uh, the, the 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 marinara, the tomato sauce that I used. Uh, baby portobello mushrooms that we had sliced and put on there. I also had roasted three heads of garlic. Three heads of garlic. So each pizza had a head of roasted garlic on it to go. Uh, well, that went really well. Tasted delicious. But, boy, roasted garlic can be painful after the fact. It's kind of a, a gas producer, if you don't know that. <laughs> it is something else. And then, of course, sliced tomatoes on top. Now, a trick with the sliced tomatoes is this. And same with the onions. I don't think I said onions, but I did have some fresh sliced uh, yellow onions that I put on the pizza. But two things, onions and also uh, tomatoes are are huge water producers, Okay. Um, they, 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 they retain, they hold naturally a lot of water within themselves so that when they are cooking, that water comes out. So what I, what I did, I, I, I would, I used the onion sparingly because I already knew that I was going to have water coming out from that. And what I did for the tomatoes is I kind of waited toward the end, maybe the last uh, five minutes or so of the, the cooking time. And then I just threw, I had already seasoned them with a little salt and pepper, uh, kosher salt, freshly ground black pepper. And then I just I just threw them on top right there the last four or five minutes of cooking, uh, so that they didn't have all that water come out and, and and make the crust soggy. So just a little hint that uh, there for you if you're dealing with fresh tomatoes and onions when you're cooking pizzas at home. And then finally, I want to share with you one more recipe. This is for crawfish étouffée. As I mentioned earlier, étouffée means smothered. And this recipe is a variation of the one I found in Emerald Lagasse's Real or Louisiana Real and Rustic Cookbook. Love that cookbook. Mine is all uh, marked up. I've got grease stains and all kind of food stains in that cookbook. Um, it's just a mess, but I love it. It's also autographed by Emerald and Marcel Bienvenu. Marcel, my friend Marcel, is also uh, one of the authors there on that book. She she did all the writing, but uh, anyway, excellent cookbook, fantastic, and. Um, here are the ingredients for the uh, this is this is our variation, okay? This is our variation of Emerald's crawfish étouffée. All right, one stick of butter, two cups of chopped onions, one cup of chopped green bell peppers, one pound of peeled crawfish tails, which we get frozen, right? One pound of peeled crawfish tails, and it's got the the juice, the fat, the yellow fat. Uh, some of that is in there too. Uh, we like to keep as much of that as we can. I scraped the inside of that bag when when I when I opened the bag up and put the crawfish into the the the, the pan. I always scrape the bag and try to get all the fat out. It's really good, full of flavor. Love that stuff. Uh, two bay leaves, one tablespoon of flour, one cup of water, uh, one teaspoon salt, a quarter teaspoon of cayenne, two tablespoons of chopped parsley, and three tablespoons of chopped green onions, plus additional parsley and green onions that will uh, be used at the end when you actually serve. The plates or the bowls, we like to top it with parsley and green onions. So here's here are the directions. You melt the butter in a large skillet over medium-high heat. We use a cast-iron skillet. Love those things. 
Uh, add the onions and the bell peppers and saute until soft and golden, about 10 to 12 minutes. Add the crawfish tails and bay leaves. Uh, reduce the heat to medium, stirring occasionally. Cook until the crawfish begin to throw off a little liquid, which is about another 10 to 12 minutes. Then you dissolve um, dissolve the flour in the water in a bowl, and then you add the add that to the crawfish mixture and season with salt and cayenne. Then you stir until the mixture thickens, right? That, that, that flour and water, you're basically making like a little roux. It's a very small amount of roux used to kind of thicken up uh, the, 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 the etouffee. So it takes about four minutes for it to thicken up. Then you want to add the uh, two tablespoons of parsley and three tablespoons of green onions, and you cook that for about two more minutes. You can remove, at that point, the bay leaves and serve over hot rice. Now, here are the variations, okay? What we do that's a bit different, uh, we add a little more salt and cayenne to taste, of course, than the original recipe. Also, the original recipe calls for chopped celery in addition to the onions and the bell pepper, but we drop the celery. We're, we're not fans of it. I don't if I'm eating a dish that has a celery in there, fine. I, I, you know, I even add a little bit to my gumbos when I do that, but I don't find a need for it in the etouffee, so I don't use it. Uh, we also add the chopped parsley, as I mentioned, and the chopped green onions to the plates of the bowls whenever we serve. Now, in addition to crawfish, you can also make etouffee with shrimp or chicken. And uh, when using shrimp, just be careful not to overcook the shrimp. Shrimp do not take long to cook at all, so you probably want to add them about five or six minutes before serving. Maybe a little bit more. you got to kind of eyeball it. depends on the size of the shrimp, too. Uh, but chicken etouffee now is economical and delicious, and that's what we made Saturday night. And since we had two pounds of boneless chicken thighs, we doubled the recipe. And uh, to prep the chicken, what we did, Char, actually, she added a bit of salt and cayenne and extra virgin olive oil to the thighs in a bowl, then mixed it up really well. I came up behind her, came in behind her, and cut the thighs up, into half to one inch chunks and i'm telling you we absolutely loved the chicken etouffee and that's something that you can make wherever you are in the country you can get chicken anywhere right uh you might not have crawfish on hand but uh but you you would have chicken one last note on the crawfish i did not mention this but you know when it comes to crawfish especially down here i did mention at the beginning of the show this this whole like mass production thing where we we, we export crawfish all over the world now and so much so, and the, the, the demand here locally is so great for crawfish that what, what businesses do, what companies have started doing now, is they import crawfish to Louisiana from China. Well, that's just wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's just wrong. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is our livelihood down here, you know. We want to support Louisiana businesses. So, true, I can go to the grocery store. And, and get a, a pound of crawfish from China for six dollars, five ninety nine a pound, rather than paying the twelve fifty for the Louisiana crawfish. But guess what? I'm not going to do that. I am not going to do that because I want to support the local economy. I want to support the local fishermen uh, and, and the, the the folks who are um, um, harvesting or whatever you want to call it. I can't think of the the word right now. But who 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 have these crawfish, right? Uh, who take care of them. They have crawfish ponds and whatnot, uh, crawfish farms. I mean, I, I want to support them, and I want to support the local economy. I'm not going to go buy El Cheapo from China when I have excellent local crawfish. I just have to pay twice as much or over twice as much for it. If I'm going to buy the crawfish, I'm getting Louisiana products, 
And I, I, I would certainly hope that anybody else in Louisiana would feel the same way. And if you have another local product wherever you live, not crawfish, but something else, I would certainly hope that you would rather buy the stuff there with, from, your, from your own home rather than buying something from some other place. That's just, that's just my little soapbox uh, talk there about buy local. We got to buy local. We got to support each other. We have to support the community. And we do that by spending our money wisely and, and by uh, supporting people who need that support. So uh, Louisiana crawfish, Louisiana products, Louisiana seafood, baby, that's where it's at. Uh, that's where my money goes. Even though I could get that cheap uh, Chinese stuff, I, I don't do it. So having said that, uh, we're going to be inspired now by Sarah Reinhardt, who wants to talk to us in, a, in the Mary in the Kitchen segment about the nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hi, I'm Junie. And I'm Ray. And, and this is, is Mary in the, the Kitchen with Sarah Reinhardt. <laughs> Labor Day seems like the perfect backdrop for a reflection of the Blessed Mother. And we have that most years because her birthday is celebrated on September 8th, right around the time we pause for Labor Day here in the United States. It's a chance to stop and honor the work and toil we do in our everyday lives, women and men. We can look to Mary's example in the house at Nazareth and see a loving model for a fresh approach to what was dull and routine before. We can think of the miracle of her birth not to mention the birth of her son, and open our eyes to the miracles that are around us in the bustle of traffic, the piles of laundry, and the demands of children. St. Anne's heart was broken because of her infertility. St. Joachim was ridiculed at the temple and even spent 40 days fasting in the desert as penance for his childlessness. All they wanted was a child. They had lived a good, holy, blameless life. Back then, children were seen not just as a blessing, but as a sign of how much God loved you. If you didn't have children, you had obviously done something wrong. Even though I know this, I can't separate myself from the women I've known who have struggled with infertility. I think of Anne, alone in her house, and I see so many other faces. I see the red-rimmed eyes and the desire, feel the emptiness, wonder with her, when, why, why? Anne and Joachim did not give up. It would have been so easy to throw up their hands, to snub the whispering neighbors, to withdraw into their own misery. Instead, they offered their pain to God in prayer. They remained open, even when everything looked hopeless. And in old age, at a time when their friends were grandparents, or perhaps even great-grandparents, Anne and Joachim were rewarded. Having a child is no small thing. It changes you. But to have a child who is to be the mother of God. Anne and Joachim knew their child would be special. Mary's birth was preceded by angelic visits to each of her parents, and they had promised to dedicate her to God. But did they know? We might not feel like God has given us quite the important task he gave Anne and Joachim or other saints. 
Who am I? I often wonder to myself. Just another woman, just another mom, just another worker. Except that's not true. God made each of us for a purpose, and we are the only ones who can fulfill that mission in life. He's asking something great of each of us, and we can look to Mary for help in following God's will toward that purpose. I often have to remind myself that the really important things God has in store for me don't need fireworks or flashing lights. I might not even realize the impact I'm having. Mary wasn't born in a palace, and neither was Jesus. Their lives don't follow the pattern we might have chosen if we were planning out the path for Mother of God and God-made man. God had a better plan, and we're all better for it. At an early age, Mary was dedicated to God. Her mother made sure that Mary took her first steps at the temple. At age three, we're told, she was taken to live at the temple with other consecrated virgins. She had to leave at age 12, the age of womanhood, because she would be ritually unclean. She married Joseph so that she was protected, safe, taken care of, though the deal was that she would remain a virgin. Then the plan took an unexpected turn. Gabriel showed up and announced something so far beyond what anyone could have imagined that I think Mary must have just gasped. Her yes continues to inspire us today. I look to it when I'm feeling like the world is too much or that maybe God has someone else in mind for my life. If a teenage girl can say yes to being the mother of God, then maybe I can say yes to the cleanup of a Labor Day work weekend. If she can keep saying yes, even as she saw where it would take her son, then maybe I can yes my way through splash time in the bathtub. If she can hold her son after standing at the foot of the cross and still say yes, I shouldn't even hesitate to put down my gripes and pick up my own cross with a smile on my face. Thank you so much, Sarah. That was Sarah Reinhardt, folks. You can find more of Sarah's work, including her recently published Advent book, Welcome, Baby Jesus, over at snoringscholar.com. A big thank you to L'Angelus for allowing us to use their Ave Maria in the show. You can find L'Angelus at CajunRecords.com. This is Archbishop Joseph Nauman of the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas, and I look forward to welcoming you here in Kansas City for the Catholic New Media Conference on October the 1st, 2011. Join us October 1st for the fourth annual Catholic New Media Conference. The CNMC is a festive, educational, and international conference focused on evangelization and building community through the use of new media. This year's CNMC will focus particularly on social media and how the church and its institutions can effectively use it. Beginning with hands-on workshops on Friday, September 30th, and continuing with the main program on Saturday with Vatican Radio's Sean Patrick Lovett, the nun blogger Sister Ann Flanagan, Catholic mom Lisa Hendy, and popular Catholic bloggers and podcasters, it'll be a weekend to remember. Details are available at cnmc.sqpn.com. Make sure you're going to Kansas City for the CNMC. This brings us to the end of the show, folks. I certainly hope that you have enjoyed it. 
I'm looking for voice feedback from you. That's right, from you. I want to hear from you. How does food meet faith in your life? You can call in your voice feedback by dialing 985-635-4974. 985-635-4974. You can call that number day or night. Just leave a message, and I'll be able to play that on the show. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Until then, you might want to check out The Catholic Foodie on Facebook at facebook.com slash catholicfoodie. Follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash catholicfoodie. And don't forget to check out the new Catholic Foodie website at new.catholicfoodie.com. And until next time, bon appétit. I'm Julia Child. Bon appétit. Bon appétit. Bon appétit. Bon appétit.